Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, uh, we're going to jump into the Word this morning, and uh, if you've got something to take notes with, I want to encourage you to take out a Bible, take out a, a journal or something to write in, or take out your phone. Um, we're going to have a lot of Scripture and a lot of content today, and I think it'll help you beyond just this moment. Uh, I think it'll help you in the future, so I'd love for you to take some notes. Plus, it's been statistically proven that people who take notes are more likely to go to heaven, so <laughs> you can work that out. Uh, we are concluding a series that we've been in for the last five weeks called Supernatural today. How many have enjoyed this series so far? Thank you for the 30% of you. The rest of you, thank you for enduring uh, the last couple of weeks. That's great. Uh, but we're going to conclude today. And if you're saying, hey, I just got here. What do you mean conclude? Uh, fear not. You can catch all of the previous sermons on our website, tfh.church. And uh, all of them are on there, including my favorite one, the one my wife preached about peace. It was very powerful. Uh, so I want to encourage you to go back and check those out. Uh, but we have been talking about living a supernatural life, which should be natural for the Christian, a supernatural life. And we've defined supernatural as the only God kind of factor in your life. The factor that people look at and they're like, I don't understand how you got that job because you definitely weren't qualified for it. I don't understand how you got that boyfriend because girl, you ratchet. Like whatever, like <laughs> only God could do that for you, okay? <laughs> or maybe it's the other way around. Um, but the only God factor in our life that should be normal for all believers. And uh, we've been filling in that blank on the graphic there with words that start with the letter P because we know Jesus loves alliteration. And uh, we've talked about, in fact, I think David mentioned it while he was praying this morning. Good job, David. Uh, we've talked about supernatural perspective, supernatural protection, supernatural peace, supernatural power, supernatural praise last week, which I felt the fruit of today. Thank you guys for worshiping your brains out. And today we are going to end with supernatural provision. Come on, someone say provision. It's going to be good. How many would say right now in your life, there is an area where you need God to provide, whether it's vocationally or financially or a healing or, you know, someone needs a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Come on, you need Jesus to provide for you there. Yeah, look around. Those are called options, people. I'm here to serve you, whatever you need, all right? I think all of us could identify an area in our life where we desperately need God to intervene in the area of provision. So today I wanna to talk about how we lay hold of God's provision for our life. And um, I got a lot of scripture, a lot of content, so we're gonna get right into it. Um, if you have a Bible, would you open up to the book of Genesis, or uh, if you're ghetto, Genesis. And uh, we're gonna go through, that was stupid, uh, chapter 22. Uh, chapter 22, starting in verse 1, and let me give you the backdrop in case you're new to the team and uh, you don't have the same biblical framework uh, as some that may have been around for a little while. Uh, we're going to read about a guy named Abraham. And Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were promised by God a son. And God said to Abraham and Sarah, um, through your seed, through your son, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. The problem was when God came to Abraham and Sarah and gave them this promise, uh, they were advanced in years. Uh, Abraham was 75 and his wife was 66, well beyond the baby-making years of their life. And we all know that the diamond generation has no business trying to make babies, but God's like, I'm going to do a supernatural miracle. I'm going to provide you with a child. And they're like, okay, if you say so, we're going to go for it. And so they get busy, uh, pun intended. And uh, <laughs> these are the jokes, people. That's all I got. Um, so they try for about a year, two years, five years, 10 years. And despite this promise from God, they don't get pregnant. They go for 25 years attempting to conceive a child and still nothing. And then at the ripe young age of 99 with a 90-year-old wife, uh, God comes back to Abraham and he's like, hey, remember that baby I promised you? It's time. I'm ready to give it to you. And he's like, are you sure? Like, 
Like, I don't know if this is going to work. And he's like, no, it's, it's, it's time. So Abraham does some stretches, and uh, he goes back home, and he lights the candles. He turns on a little Barry White, and he's like, we're going to give this one last shot, baby. Let's go. And lo and behold, miraculously, they conceive a child, and Isaac is born. Uh, and I would imagine if you've waited 100 years for a promise to come to pass in your life, when that promise finally does come to pass, you enjoy every waking moment with that child. Uh, I would imagine that Abraham spent every day kind of just staring at his kid where he's like, Dad, stop looking at me. He's like, I'm just so happy you're finally here. Just this really incredible relationship between a son and a father. And then in Genesis 22, after some time has, passes, uh, has, has passed, uh, God comes to Abraham and he throws him a little bit of a curveball regarding his son. Here's what it says in Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham got called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, who you lo- whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Which is twisted because God would never ask somebody to do this. But this is, this is, this is kind of a, a weird situation. Verse 3, the next morning Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and he took his two servants with him along with his son Isaac. Immediately, in other words, he went and he obeyed God. Uh, uh, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire and uh, for a burnt offering and he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. "Um, We've got the fire and we've got the wood, but where's the sheep that we're supposed to offer up? Verse 8, God's going to provide the sheep for a burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. But at that moment, an angel of the Lord called uh, to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in a place of his son. Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people will use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me, because you have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I swear that I will bless you because you have not withheld from me. One more scripture and then we're going to get into this. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter Someone throw it up there for me. Galatians chapter three, there it is, verse 29. Uh, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise of blessing and provision to Abraham belongs to you. Come on, you ready to preach with me a little bit this morning? Supernatural provision. Here's what we're gonna call this sermon in light of the proverbial saying, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Here's what we're gonna call it. Take a hike. Come on, tap the person next to you and tell them, take a hike. Take a hike. Let's pray and we're gonna get into it. Jesus, we love you this morning. I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you that your presence is a sign and a seal that you are here with us this morning. 
And if you are in the room, if in fact your presence is here, it is to transform us before we leave this place. I thank you that according to Psalm 119, it says the entrance of your word brings light. I pray that today every heart would be opened, every heart would be illuminated, and that your word would would go into the dark places, would go into the secret places of our heart, those areas where maybe we've withheld and, and kept back from you, and that you would illuminate it so we could see you for who you truly are, we could see what you have for us, and we could experience Jehovah Yireh, the God that provides supernaturally for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen. Uh, If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first is important. The first is important. Uh, The first of anything is always significant. The first of a product is significant. Uh, The first mover into the marketplace segment is significant. Uh, The first time you experience something or you taste something or the first time you go somewhere, the first is always significant because the first has the ability to set a precedent and a standard that will affect everything that follows. In fact, it can, you could say that it also creates a bit of a pattern that will follow after the first. Let me give you an example. Uh, Robin and I have a, a number of firsts together. Uh, Robin was my first girlfriend, and uh, I was her first boyfriend, I think. I was your first boyfriend, right? I probably should have asked that before I started preaching. What does this mean? Okay, unacceptable. Robin was my first girlfriend. We're going to have a conversation after church. <laughs> Truly believe that our marriage is built on honesty. All right. But uh, she was my first girlfriend, and I remember it like it was yesterday. We were uh, sixth and seventh grade. Uh, It was at her sixth grade graduation. I walked up to her, and uh, she was looking like every 90s girl looks. Uh, Kind of the big Coke bottle bangs and the big, like, ghetto fabulous loop earrings and kind of a young Jennifer Aniston in that regard. And uh, I walked up to her. And I also was looking like most of the young men in my generation. I just sprouted my first few couple of lip hairs, and I was rocking the, uh, the, the mild lip caterpillar up there. And in fact, I think I have a couple of photos just to show you for context. Um, this is my wife. Uh, yeah, there she is. Looking real good, huh? And then, uh, and then, and then there's me. Uh, yeah. That's your pastor, people. (laughs) I was in my, I think I'm Mexican phase of my life, and uh, it was great. Please take it off the screen. The bastion of style, wasn't he? Yes. So I walk up to her, and uh, because I had no game, and you're in sixth and seventh grade, you don't have any game at that point, I'm like, hey. And she's like, hey. And that's it. We were dating. That's literally all we said. It was great. And uh, so fast forward, you know, we're, we're enjoying our, our, our sixth and seventh grade relationship, whatever that is at that point. And we had another first. I experienced my first kiss with her. And uh, I found out later or earlier this week that I was not her first kiss. So I'm finding out a lot this week. That's a little bit sketchy. But whatever, she was my first kiss. And it was super romantic. Uh, we were in our friend Tiffany's garage. <laughs> and she's uh, on this like workbench that's probably stained with Tiffany's dad's sweat. And... Uh, I bend over and her face is one way and my face is the other way, kind of like a young Freddie Prince Jr. movie, you know? And we kiss each other's faces upside down. It was magical. Amazing first. Uh, She was the first person I said, I love you too. Uh, She was also my first heartbreak. Uh, She was my first wife. Uh, (laughs) And my current wife as well. So we, 
We experienced a lot of firsts together. Now, it took a little while for us to figure out that the first was, in fact, the best, and there were many subsequent uh, boyfriends and girlfriends and kisses and false confessions of love. Uh, But as I discovered, since she was first, she created a precedent. She created a standard, one that, in fact, nobody else could have lived up to because she was incredible. And that's the thing about the first. The first always creates a precedent. It creates a standard. Well, the same is true in your Bible. Anytime something happens in the Bible for the first time, it is significant because it is creating a precedent or a standard whereby everything else will be measured. In fact, theologians, they they call it this, the law of first mention. And the law of first mention states that the first time a word or a concept appears in scripture, you should pay very close attention to it because there is a pattern being established that will follow for the remainder of scripture. In fact, the definition says this, it is essential to understand the first because the first is imperative in the establishment of doctrine. In other words, a principle is being established that you can build your life upon. It is going to be unchanging from this point forward. God is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, this is how it works. Pay close attention because this standard will follow for the remainder of the Bible. Now, Genesis chapter 22 is one of those first mention moments. There's a couple of firsts in here, but we're going to hone in on one as it pertains to supernatural provision. And here's where the first takes place. Abraham has the knife lifted, and he's ready to take the life of his son. And at that moment, a voice calls out to him from heaven, and here's what it says. It says, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up. He saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, here's the first, Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, the people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is the first time in Scripture that God reveals himself, he introduces himself as the supernatural provider, the God who provides. Abraham's about to kill his son. God provides a substitutionary sacrifice. And in so doing, he establishes a name for himself. And the name is Jehovah Yireh. Or if you're a Southern Pentecostal preacher, it's Jehovah Jireh, that one. Yay, there we go. (laughs) Now let's go get some tacos. Like that's... That's how they say it there. <laughs> now, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Yireh, it's an amazing name, but it became proverbial. This, in other words, this was such a significant moment that it became something people talked about for years and years and years. And the proverb was this. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided for you. And you can circle that word it, underline that it, because that it is whatever you need at that moment. On the mountain of the Lord, fill in the blank is going to be provided for you. Now, that's a great promise. It's a promise that we should all celebrate. In fact, it's a promise that people have written songs about. It's a name that people have written books about. And there's bumper stickers and there's magnets you can put on your fridge to remind you that God is your provider. But but let's consider the context of that promise for just a moment, shall we? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided to you. What happened on the mountain of the Lord? Yeah, God did provide for Abraham, but that provision was preceded by something else. Abraham was about to stab his son. (laughs) He was about to offer up something that was so significant, something so near and dear to his heart. And in that context of sacrifice, God 
provided for Abraham. So if you want to take a look at the established principle, if the, if the law of first mention is true, then here is the principle of supernatural provision. Ready? Radical sacrifice precedes supernatural provision. Radical sacrifice first, then comes God's provision. See, it's imperative you understand this as a believer because I know a lot of Christians that are clinging to a promise that they will never inherit. They're clinging to this promise of provision. God's gonna provide. He's gonna come through. Bless God, he's gonna give me the job that I need. Hallelujah, he's Jehovah Jireh. Like, he's gonna come through. But they have yet to cross over the threshold of radical sacrifice. And so they're clinging to a promise that they're never gonna be able to lay hold of. Radical sacrifice first. Let me remind us all today. You are not Aladdin. God is not a genie. You don't get to rub your Bible and glibly confess promises outside of Scripture in an attempt to obligate God to things that he has not obligated himself to. Yes, God is obligated to provide. He's obligated by his word, but that obligation is based first and foremost on a sacrifice from us. Hence the title of the message, Take a Hike. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let me ask you a question. That's a question that you and the Holy Spirit can wrestle with because I don't know the answer to it, but you do deep in your heart. Are there any mountains that you have refused to hike? Are there areas of sacrifice that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about and said, son, daughter, I need you to lay this down. Not because I'm mean, not because I'm cruel, but because I have a blessing. I have provision on the other side of this. Are you willing to lay down what looks good so that you can have what is God? Are you willing to go up that mountain and hike or, or do you just wanna stay around the base a little bit longer? See, I want God to say to you and to say to me what he said to Abraham. What did he say to Abraham? Abraham, because you have not withheld from me your only son, because you have not withheld from me the thing that means more to you than anything else, you are proving in this test that I am first and foremost in your life, that I am in fact Lord. Because if he's not Lord of all, as it's been said, he's not Lord at all. So everything else has to come before. Is there any mountain you won't hike? Is there something you've withheld from God? Because I want you And I want personally to experience the provision and the blessing that's on the other side of sacrifice. Now, I asked this question in a similar fashion this last week um, on the gram, on Instagram. And I said, is there anything that is really difficult for you to sacrifice to God? And I was really grateful for those who responded. I got a few hundred responses because it really did help create the framework uh, for this sermon. Because I don't want to just talk about things that are easy for us to sacrifice and make us all walk out of the room and go like, all right, I'm good. Like, I wanna get to the heart of where we're living. Not because I wanna bust you out or make you feel uncomfortable, because I want you to receive the blessing on the other side. I want you to receive the provision on the other side. So I asked this question and uh, out of the few hundred responses, there were three items that kind of topped the list by a landslide, I might add. And as I began to write the sermon, I ran out of room. And so we're only gonna do two of the three. (laughs) Uh, But if you wanna hear what the third one was, it was comfort. It was the comfort of, 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 of the mundane, of the predictable, like 
just wanting to know what's going to happen next, that's really hard for us to sacrifice to God. But the other two are things that I think are gonna hit every single one of us in the room. They are mountains that all of us have to hike. And listen, if you get uncomfortable over the next couple of minutes, maybe you're here for the first time today and you're like, really? I came on this weekend and you're gonna talk about that? You can take it up with the people who responded on Instagram, okay? You can blame Instagram. In fact, that's a great life principle. Just blame Instagram, you know? Instagram ruins everything anyway. Why not the sermon on a Sunday, all right? So let me, let me hit you with the two things that people said were more difficult to sacrifice than anything else. The two mountains that are really difficult to hike. The first area where people said it was difficult was the mountain of time. The sacrifice of time. Here's some of the responses I got. Um, I know I should spend more time with God, but I get so distracted. My work schedule just changed, and so I haven't been able to prioritize time alone with God like I used to. I want to come to church every Sunday, but sleep. <laughs> and I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here on a Sunday, so that person's probably still sitting in bed somewhere. But, but these are the statements that we make, the, the, the excuses we give for not giving God the time that we know that he deserves. And whether it's showing up to church on a Sunday morning, or it's serving a church, or it's giving up a weekday night so that you can be in a group and in community with other believers, or it's just plain getting alone with God every single day for a period of time where you're in the word and you're in worship and there's no distractions. It's just you and it's him. This is a mountain that every single one of us are going to have to figure out how to hike. And it's proven to be a difficult one, has it not? Yeah, I, I understand. It's a difficult mountain to hike, and here's why. It has been said, rightfully so, that time is the most valuable commodity you have. And the reason time is the most valuable commodity you have is because you ain't getting any more of it. We all have the same amount of time in a day, the same number of minutes, the same number of seconds. Granted, some of us are gonna live a little bit longer than others, but none of us know when that day is going to come. But time is a limited resource. You only have so much. And since it's a limited resource, where you decide to spend it shows a great deal about what you prioritize in your life. And listen, I don't, I'm not trying to get on anybody's case here today because I understand that you all live very full lives. Welcome to San Francisco. We all live very full lives. People have demanding job schedules and it takes three hours to drive two and a half miles to work. And if you take public transit, sometimes it breaks down. And I get it, like, like our schedules are full. How many would just say today, like I live a very full life. I have a very full schedule. Okay, yeah. Most of the room. By the way, let me encourage you to use that language as well. I live a full life. Can I, can I, I'm going to sidetrack for just a moment because it's going to help somebody. You don't live a busy life. You live a full life. Busy is a state of mind. Full is a choice. You can choose where you spend your time. You can choose where you work. You can choose how you get to work. It's a choice, and you've chosen to live a full life. Here's my confession. My wife and I say this all the time. Oh, we just live full and exciting lives. People come, oh, you must be busy. I don't want to bother you. We're busy. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not busy. I live a full and exciting life. Nobody needs a busy pastor. Your spouse doesn't need a busy spouse. Your kids don't need a busy parent. Your friends don't need a busy friend. No, I live a full, and I live an exciting life. You live a full life, but I digress. I get it. Like the schedule is packed. There's a lot going on. And sometimes it's difficult to figure out what to prioritize because everything feels so important. So, so please hear my heart on this. This is not an attempt to guilt you into spending more time with Jesus, okay? 
This is not me just trying to steamroll over your schedule and, and, and not have any empathy for where you're living right now, okay? I get it. This is not supernatural guilt trip. This is supernatural provision, all right? This is not where I'm like, well, you know, he died for you, so the least you can do is spend a couple of moments with him on a Tuesday morning. Like, that's not it. No, I want God to provide for you in this area. And, and I, wanna, I wanna show you what this looks like. Um, years ago, uh, I learned a principle that has really guided my scheduling and the way that I live my life when it comes to time. And I, I wanna help you out with this today because it really did change the way I perceived what was most important to me. Again, where you spend your time is a reflection of what you deem to be most important. Uh, years ago, before Robin and I were pastors, uh, we were in business, and I'm still kind of in business right now so that I can afford to live here. Um, and, uh, and, and my pastor invited me at the time to go to a conference in Seattle, Washington called Prosperity with a Purpose. And uh, me and a few thousand other business guys showed up, and we were hearing from speakers all week long and worshiping together and kind of getting God's perspective on why he called us into business. And uh, at the final session, uh, a man who has since gone to be with Jesus, Pastor Wendell Smith, got up and preached a message that completely changed my life. And he made a statement near the end of his message. message he said, everything you want is in the presence of God. Everything you want is in his presence. The strategy you need to take your business to the next place, it's in his presence. The healing for your marriage, it's in the presence of Jesus. The freedom that you can't seem to find anywhere else, it's in the presence. The joy that you're clinging for and trying to find in other substances, you're not gonna find it there, it's found in his presence. Everything you're looking for is in the presence. And so he made this statement, he said, if that's true, then we must prioritize the presence. That must come first. Being with Jesus must come first because if we do that first, God is obligated, according to Matthew chapter six, if you seek first the kingdom, he will make everything else fall into place for you. Come on, if we actually believe that God is who he says he is, and he in fact created everything, including time, don't you think that if we gave him our time first, if we invested in him first, that he could give you the capacity and the ability to accomplish everything you need to accomplish in a different set of hours if you just put him first? He said, you gotta prioritize the presence. And then at the end of the sermon, he said, here's what we're gonna do. We live crazy busy lives and this is how it works, our full lives. <laughs> he didn't say that, he said busy. He's <laughs> like, I wanna take a moment and we're just gonna hang out in the presence of Jesus a little bit. Band, come on back up. The band came up and they started to sing and he's just sitting there on the stage with his eyes closed, just hanging out in the presence of God. And you know what happened? Probably 50% of the room packed up their stuff and bolted for the back door. It's the last day of the conference and people were like, oh, I gotta get to the restaurant. Parking's crazy. I don't wanna deal with the traffic in the parking lot. And, and in the middle of this worship set, after he just told us to prioritize the right thing, all these people are bolting for the door and he says, hey, 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 stop. Calls off the band. Ushers, close the doors. I'm like, I wanna do that on a Sunday. I'm not done yet. Close the doors. He said, he said you, you didn't get it. You, you didn't hear what I was saying. I know that many of you bolting for the door right now, your business is about to collapse. Your marriage is on the rocks. Like, and, and you just want to rush out of the presence. Just, just hang out a little bit longer. 
I wonder how often our actions echo that sentiment. I got a lot going on. I got got so much you don't understand. Like my class schedule is insane. My work schedule is insane. I got deadlines. I got this. I got that. Jesus understands. I'm going to put him on the back burner and there will come a time when my schedule frees up a little bit and then then I'm going to invest like I, stop. Prioritize the presence. Listen, here's the supernatural principle of time. Ready? If you make time, God will make time. If you make time, have anyone ever heard someone say that? Oh, I, I can make time for that. I'll move my schedule around. I can make time for you. I'll make time for that. Hey, newsflash, you can't make time. <laughs> At best, you can rearrange your schedule a little bit so that you can prioritize what's most important. Making time is a supernatural activity, and God can actually do it. He's done it before, and he will do it again. And I am a living testament to the fact that if you will prioritize the presence of Jesus first, the rest of your schedule will in fact fall into place. He will allow you to accomplish things in a shorter period of time than it used to take you if you will simply prioritize him first. And if you don't believe me, take a nice slow read through Joshua chapter 10 where God literally stopped the sun so that an entire army could accomplish what he told them to accomplish. If he can stop the sun for an army, he can move your schedule around a little bit so that you can accomplish what you need to accomplish if you just put him first. If you make time, he will make time. I imagine that when Abraham uh, walked up that mountain after waiting 100 years for that promise, he thought to himself, really? I waited all that time for nothing. Now I'm just gonna, I'm gonna lay this out on the altar and everything that God promised me, everything that I waited for, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sacrifice. Oh, gosh, it's so hard. Maybe you've been waiting for that job for a really long time. Maybe you've been waiting for that relationship for a really long time. Maybe you've been waiting to get into that class for a really long time. And you're like, finally, I'm here. I'm going to invest everything in this. Forget not the one who got you there in the first place. And make sure that you prioritize him first. Because if Abraham was willing to lay down 100 years of waiting, you can lay down a semester. You can lay down a few moments in the morning. And you can move some stuff around to make sure that he's first. Amen? If the first one was time, I bet you'll never guess what the second one was. Go ahead, say it. Yeah, you got it, treasure. (laughs) You knew it was coming. I think the most difficult mountain in modern-day Christianity that we have to ascend, the the hardest hike, is the mountain of money. The the, the hike of our treasure. And the irony is, isn't it, that you spend all that time Studying, getting the degree, working the job so that you can make the money. <laughs> and then God's like, hey, um, I'd like you to sacrifice that as well. You're like, for real? Yeah, the mountain of money, it's a difficult hike for sure. But Jesus was not unaware of the fact that we'd be living in our day and age and that our God would be our finances. He was well aware of the fact that we were going to face this hike. And so he talked a lot about it. In fact, other than the kingdom of God, do you know that Jesus talked about money more than anything else? Wrap your brain around this for a moment. Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, really? Where I'm gonna spend eternity was like second on the list after money? Yeah, and here's why. Because the way we handle money says a lot about the condition of our heart 
and the condition of our heart has a lot to do with where we spend eternity. Look at what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. You've heard this before. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you spend your money, that's where your heart is located. Now, that word heart in the Greek, it's the word cardia. It's where we get the word cardio, cardiac, cardiatric, other things. <laughs> and its definition is the workout you should do more of. No, I'm just kidding. Its definition is... Um, the center of all physical and spiritual life. So it's not just an organ on the inside of your body. That heart is the center of all physical and spiritual life. Jesus knew that your life would ultimately follow your money. Wherever you spent your money, wherever you were invested, your heart was gonna be attached to that. And whatever your heart is attached to, your emotions, your time, your, all of that is going to go. He understood this. And, and, and you've experienced this principle before. Uh, I'll, I'll use a self-depreciating example as well. Um, I remember two and a half years ago when cryptocurrency became a big thing and everybody was trying to buy Bitcoin. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, we're going to talk about this. Um, I got really excited about it because it was a really fast way to make money. And I forgot everything it says in Proverbs about wealth being stored up over time and not overnight. So I invested a lot of money in cryptocurrency. And uh, I bought a lot of Bitcoin and the altcoins and all the rest of that stuff. By the way, this is foreign to some of you, and you should just thank Jesus. It's foreign to some of you, okay? <laughs> so I invested a bunch of money, and uh, I downloaded a couple of apps, and literally every three, four, because the cryptocurrency market never shuts down. It's not like the stock market where it ends at like, you know, 2 or 3 p.m., and you can be like, oh, finally, I can breathe again. No, you are all day long watching things go, it's like, you know, bipolar disorder right there, like in, in, in your heart. And so... I'm watching all day long trying to like trade at the right time and, you know, sell and buy and sell and buy. And it wasn't just the time that I was investing on my, on my phone. I felt like every conversation I was having with people was surrounding cryptocurrency. And I'm talking to all my friends about it. And I'm like, have you bought Bitcoin? Have you bought Bitcoin? Have you bought Bitcoin? And like it consumed my life. And I lost a lot of money. <laughs> Pray for me. I invested all the church's money. In, I'm just kidding. No, I didn't. It's going to be great. What happened? My affections, my conversations, my life followed what I was invested in. It consumed me. It consumed my conversations. It consumed my thoughts. When I laid down at night, I was wondering, oh my God, in the seven hours I'm sleeping, is my Bitcoin going to go tank? Like, it, it just, it took over everything in my life. And that's what happens with the very things we're invested in. Our emotions, our heart, our life gets attached to it, and our life ultimately follows what we are invested in. So again, let me ask you a confronting question. What consumes your thoughts? What consumes your creativity? What consumes your mind when you lay down on the pillow at nighttime? Is it the things of God? Are we constantly looking for opportunities to go, how can I bless somebody else? How can I be more generous with my life? How can I be more Christ-like with my money and sacrificially give to other people? Or when it comes to money, are we more of the, how can I amass more for myself? How can I pad my 401k? How can I do this for me so that I feel more secure? I, I'm sorry if that makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm just asking the question that Jesus would ask you. And if you answer that question incorrectly, I'd be willing to bet if you trace back where you're invested, it won't be in the things of God. Because your heart is ultimately going to follow what you're invested in. I understand how this makes people feel. You're like, oh, gosh, really? Money? At church? This is what everybody thinks. 
They just want your money, okay? Listen, Jesus talked about money a lot. I'm not even close to how much he talked about it, all right? We're 48 weeks in. I've talked about it maybe two or three times in sermons over the course of 48 weeks, all right? So if anything, I should probably talk about it for the next 17 weeks just to keep up with Jesus, all right? But this is not where I try to guilt you into giving more and I make you feel bad for not giving enough. Actually, at this moment, the church is in better financial shape than we've ever been in. Last month was the greatest month of giving we had in the history of our church by a long shot, like 60%, insane. And I am very grateful for those that have generous and have laid down and served and said, hey, I trust God with my money and I'm gonna bless the house. Now, this is, don't make this about a pastor. Don't make this about a church. This is not about me guilting you into something. Don't deflect and go, oh, that's how churches, they always want. No, this is about you. This is about you experiencing the supernatural provision of God. This is about you knowing him as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Yireh, the provider who wants to provide for all of your needs. And if you will take this hike, if you will go up this mountain, listen, here is the supernatural promise of provision when it comes to your money. If you give, he will give. If you give, he will give. Let me read you a scripture, a promise out of Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a great promise. But I'm gonna make it easy for you to lay hold of it. I'm gonna invite my father onto the stage. Dad, will you please come here for me real quick? And... Uh, Would you adorn this fanny pack, please? Um, I wanted to invite a professional fanny pack wearer uh, who has not been um, uh, affected by today's trends, which many of you are. Notice where he places it. It's called a fanny pack because it goes around your fanny, not over your, okay. Anyway, I'm just throwing that out there for some of you millennials who don't know how to wear a fanny pack, all right? So in Luke chapter six, when Jesus says, give, it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaken together. This is a marketplace term. It's a term that would have been very familiar to the hearers of this scripture in their day. Because in their day, um, they would have had a version of a fanny pack in their tunic. And they would have taken their tunic when they walked into the marketplace and they were buying grain from somebody in the marketplace. And they would have held out their tunic and said, okay, here's my money. And the person who had uh, the grain that was selling would pour out the measure that they purchased uh, for, for the dollar figure there. So uh, it was a, a, an old version of a modern day fanny pack. So if you were a stingy merchant and uh, you paid for uh, enough grain to get by for the week, then you would take uh, the grain and you'd be like, okay, well, uh, you paid a couple of shekels there. All right, that's, uh, that looks about good right there. So now he looks at me like that because he's like, hey, for real? <laughs> that's all you're gonna give me? It's like when you go through, uh, you know, Chipotle and you're like, for real? You ain't gonna put a little more meat on there? Come on. You need to be a little more generous with what you got there. All right, homie, come on. I seen the way you treated the pretty girl on the line in front of me. Want to hook up your boy, for real. So if he was, he was kind of generous, he'd pour a little bit more and he'd fill up the fanny pack. But if the guy was really generous, he'd be like, hey, you know what? Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and shake that out a little bit real quick, okay? Yeah, shimmy a little bit, make a little bit more room. And, and, and he would just say, you know what? I, I'm gonna just keep pouring. And I'm gonna pour to the fact that there's actually some running over the top of, of, your, uh, of, your, of your tunic there because I am going to be generous. Now, this is what God's saying. If you will give like that, then I will give like that. What so many believers do, they're like, here you go, Jesus. Where's my full fanny pack? <laughs> no, 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 no. 
It's a mountain you gotta hike. It's a sacrifice you have to make. It's the willingness to say, I will give lavishly. And when I give lavishly, Jesus, I know that your word is true and you're gonna provide for every one of my needs. And it's not gonna be just enough. It's gonna be more than enough. Pressed down, shaken together, running over so that you can fill my needs in Jesus' name. Thank you, Dad. You can keep the rice and the fanny pack for that matter. Well done, sir. If you give, he will give. Listen, I, I, uh, I think that that is such a huge mountain that so many people haven't hiked yet. Hear my heart for a moment here. I was praying for you this week. And as I was praying, I was praying specifically over this point because I know that there's people who have yet to cross over this threshold, yet to trust God with their finances. As I'm praying, I'm like, God, let it not be my words. Let it be your words. Let it not be me trying to compel people to do something. Let it be your Holy Spirit speaking to people's hearts. And as I was praying, I saw this picture of some people standing at the base of a mountain. And they were just walking in circles around this mountain over and over and over and over again. And I knew exactly what God was saying when I saw this picture. Holy Spirit said, son, there's people in your church that I've said to, you've circled this mountain long enough. It's time to ascend. There are provisions at the peak of the mountain for you. And those provisions are not always money. Some of you, you're hitting a wall with your job. You're hitting a wall in your marriage. There's ministry that has yet to be released to you. If money is the thing that is so close to our heart, could it be that perhaps God is waiting to release everything, you, everything else he wants to give you until he knows that he has that which is closest to your heart? I wholeheartedly believe that there is some breakthrough on the other side of taking a hike up this mountain. If you will just trust him and say, God, I'm going to give, trusting that you're going to be my provider. I don't want to provide for myself any longer. I want you to provide for me because when you provide for me, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. You hold my boss's heart in the palm of your hand. And I know that if I trust you, the sky's the limit. If you give, he will give. Now. I'm out of time, so i got to land. Band, you guys can come. But let me land with this. Those are the big two, but that doesn't let everybody else off the hook, all right? There are a lot of mountains that God has asked us to ascend, a lot of hikes that he's asked us to take. Maybe it's a relationship for you. Maybe it is that comfort thing. Maybe it's a move or a job or something like that where you have to step out in faith and trust God, a sacrifice of comfort, a sacrifice of the unknown, and you know what it is. The Holy Spirit will sort that out with you. But ask yourself that question, what mountain have I avoided hiking? What have I withheld from God? And as you ask yourself that question, please remember the character and nature of God. He is not some bully, he is not cruel. He didn't ask Abraham for his son because he's like, you love your son, I'll take the thing that you love. That's not the character, that's not the nature, that is not the heart of God at all. He desperately wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you. And he's only asking you to ascend hills that right now are keeping you from full surrender to him. It's because he wants to give you something greater. And remember this, when you consider sacrifice, Jesus never asks you to do something that he did not already do himself. He's not asking you to take a hike that he hasn't already taken on your behalf. Because see, Walt, this is a beautiful story of supernatural provision and 
Abraham and Isaac, and it's a story that we can point to in scripture. It was really nothing more than a foreshadowing of a greater story that was gonna be told a few thousand years later. We're literally on the exact same mountain. Jesus, the only son of God, would make his way up to the top Only this time, there would be no ram caught in a thicket. He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And he would, in fact, give his life on an altar. And just as Isaac carried his own wood up the side of a mountain, Jesus carried his own cross up the side of that very same mountain, a cross that he didn't deserve, that every one of us deserved, but he was willing to take in our place. And just as he willingly let himself, Isaac, be tied by the hands and the feet, Jesus willingly allowed the the Roman soldiers to nail him to a cross. Why? For supernatural provision. Because on the mountain of the Lord, it's gonna be provided. And on the mountain of the Lord, it was more than just money or time or relationships that were provided for you. It was an eternity secured in heaven. It was your salvation that was paid for on the top of that mountain. And now he says, hey, freely you've received my grace. Freely you've received my forgiveness. Now freely you should give. He's not asking you to do something he didn't already do on your behalf. Now, I end with this, Galatians 3.29. Here's the precursor to all of this provision. It says, now that you belong to Christ, the promises that God made to Abraham belong to you. Today, if you're here and you don't belong to Christ, that's the first hike you need to take. The hike of full surrender. Say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Whether it's been a while since he's been Lord of your life, whether today someone invited you and this is all brand new to you, this is where it starts. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. And if you're here today and that describes your situation, you know that you are far from God. You're like, man, I, I need God to provide for me. I need God to save me. I, I need to be a part of this family. But you know that You are far from him today. Listen, the beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to jump through 17 hoops to get things right with God. In one moment, by one confession of faith, your sin is erased, your past is taken care of for, and your your future is spoken for. Nobody's looking around. We wanna honor you here. We don't wanna make anybody uncomfortable, but if you're far from Jesus and you need to draw close to him, I wanna pray with you. But before I pray, I wanna know who I'm praying with. Would you just quickly and boldly lift up your hand and look at me real quick so that I know who I'm praying with. Thank you. Thank you, both of you guys back there. Thank you right there, sir. Thank you in the aisle. Yes, right there, right there. Right there in the back. Yes, right over there, right there in the aisle. Come on, lots of people saying yes to Jesus today. Hallelujah. Okay, church, would you just pray this out with those that are lifting their hand this morning? And let's make this bold declaration. Say, Jesus, today I'm giving you my life. I lay it down because you laid yours down for me. I choose to follow you regardless of the mountain you asked me to hike. Help me to be your disciple from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate one more time with those who are making a decision to follow Jesus today? Amazing. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helps you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.